As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode... Damn. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Oh dear, dear, dear. How was your weekend, listener? Yeah, it wasn't very good, was it? No. Um, don't worry, we're here to help you share the pain. The we being me, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined today by The Athletic's Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. I'm not going to ask you how you're doing, Simon, because I sort of know the answer and I've heard your voice note that we're going to listen to um, momentarily. But are you feeling any better now than you did on Saturday at five o'clock? That was actually, uh, I was I was on top form. Um, I was going around bantering with everybody. So, <laughs> but I didn't think it was the right tone for a voice note for me to come on and go, hey, and crack loads of jokes. Because funnily enough, I didn't really detect that kind of laughing, jovial atmosphere among the fans around me um, who were busy hurling abuse in Graham Potter's direction. So um, all I can say is I'm, I'm a very good actor and I hope I get an Oscar uh, very soon. All right, well, the BAFTAs was last night. You missed out there. Um, Sam Parkins Damn. back with us too. <laughs> Sam, we trailed it heavily last week. I think everybody would appreciate if we just did a deep dive on, on how was Cardiff versus Reading on Friday. <laughs> I didn't see Cassidy after Simon gave him the big build-up. <laughs> on you sub again. Don't listen to me. I keep telling people. I'm, on the, I'm old, on the old Judy Dench, wasn't he? If you can't get in that team right now, <laughs> blimey. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not much better than Simon, actually. I listened to his voice note and watched the game last night. So I didn't have a good night's kip. <laughs> All right. Well, we've put it off for long enough. We're going to have to talk about Saturday's game next. Kepler bounces quite central in his goal. Ward-Prowse hits it and it's Southampton the lead. Wouldn't you know it? It's not even a surprise anymore. 
He scores 25 yards out. The results aren't what we want, absolutely, and you can completely understand the supporters' frustration. So we all feel it the same. And our job is to try to keep working and keep trying to improve the team and keep going through what is a difficult period for us all. Chelsea nil, bottom of the table without a manager, Southampton won. A new low in this season, which is suddenly making 2015-16 look like good fun. Uh, let's hear from a sad Simon at Stamford Bridge. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Another defeat, probably the worst, and that's saying something of the Graham Potter era. Uh, the Southampton fans, you may hear them, they're the ones making the noise to my left. They celebrate a tremendous and deserved 1-0 win. Players celebrate in front of them. Chelsea players, pretty much all of them have already left the pitch. Just had heard a very, very angry Chelsea fan near to where the press box is situated. Shouted very loudly in Graham Potter's direction, resign, you don't know what you're doing. It's the first time that fans have really let the voices heard about the terrible results the Potter's achieving. Uh, there were loud boos at half-time when, of course, Chelsea were 1-0 down. Rather fortunate to be 1-0 down. Could have been a lot lot further behind. Second half, yes, more sort of bad fortune in front of goal, you could argue. A couple of clearances off the line, a few great saves, etc. But again, just, just not good enough. Um, of course, there's the more serious thought of you know, the concerns for the Equator, of course, by the time this podcast comes out, and when we speak on Monday, we'll know about his situation, but there was a long 10-minute delay for a, a really shocking injury that he suffered, kicked in the head uh, by Mara defending a set-piece, and he was carried off on a stretcher. That timing of that break actually probably came at a bad time for Chelsea, who, who, who were sort of, whilst not amazingly impressive were having a good attacking spell and naturally that took the sting out of it the Southampton players were allowed to come away have another talk on the sideline together and, and sort of re regather their, their thoughts but um, this is really bad for Graham Potter it's uh, I, as I wrote a piece last week got the lowest winning percentage of any Chelsea manager for 30 years and it just doesn't look like ending or improving soon all right, uh, the post-match piece is up there now, Simon, musing on whether we're now looking at a Chelsea relegation battle. It comes with the caveats that, of course, probably not. But the broader point that we're looking down rather than up is is surely one that stands now, right? There's no chance of European football next season. It's just about grinding through these last however many games we've got to suffer and, and hoping something changes in the summer. Yeah, I mean, I hasten to add, you know, that the piece isn't saying Chelsea are going to get relegated they're going to be among the teams that are in the relegation battle, the way the, the form table is. I mean, the form table says it all. Two wins out of 14 is relegation form. The lowest scorers among all 20 teams is relegation form. Now, they've got too much quality to go down, obviously, but I'm just making that point of how bad things are. I know people can see it with their eyes in terms of the performances on the pitch, the results they're getting... But nothing sort of hammers home more than sort of seeing exactly where they are in in a form table of 14 games, which is a significant chunk of the season. We're not talking about four or five games here where earlier in the season I did a, a, a sort of Graham Potter winning percentage comparison the way he started. He, he, he got off to a good start with four wins and a draw. 
but that seems like a distant memory. Um, the guy can't buy a win, and there are teams that, like your own Nottingham Forest, Matt, who who are, are considered still relegation candidates, but are getting significantly better results than Graham Potter is with a much more expensive and talented squad. So it is very, very alarming that, that Chelsea could sink into the bottom half of the table rather than be competing at the top end of the top half of the table. I think I think fans have, are fully aware of that and that's why we heard so many boos on Saturday. And not just boos, but I've got to ask you about the speculation. Graham Potter says, I'm sure there'll be people out there who think I'm the problem. I don't think they're right. I'm not arrogant enough to say their opinion isn't worth articulating. How close are you to, to writing a, a potted history of Graham's Chelsea tenure? Well, I, I don't think, and of course you can only go and buy in conversations that you've had in the last few days, the last few hours, and inevitably there's an awful amount of speculation, a lot of rumour mills going around, but I'm not detecting any any change coming as things stand that you have to remember this was always pitched as a long-term project, not short-term, something that David Ornstein only wrote about in his column a week ago that, that, that Potter we judged on years, not months, that you also have to consider that the, the sort of the hierarchy that's been brought in, the structure of the club is very much geared around Graham Potter. There's some key allies in key positions like Paul Wynn Stanley. What happens if Potter goes? What happens with him? You also have to bear in mind what kind of message it sends to the game if they do something that Abramovich never did, which is sack two managers in one season. So, no, at this stage, I don't think anything's going to happen. But I can totally understand why there's a very frustrated fan base who are used to managers being punished for poor performances, poor return of results, frustrated that... Graham Potter is is still going to be in charge for the foreseeable because there's no doubt he's underperforming. But you could also argue that this is a very unusual Chelsea season where there's been constant change for several months. Should he be judged when there's a bit of stability around the place? Are you with that, Sam? That that it's you know that there are reasons why he is underperforming, but he is underperforming. And, and are you minded to say, well, given that this season's effectively a write-off now, he might as well get the rest of it to to see if he can show us something to cling on to for next season? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm with Simon. Um, not to say that it's pretty woeful at, at the moment, but yeah, considering it's not just Graham Potter and an assistant manager that have come in from Brighton, that there's a whole team behind him. And, and in the hierarchy of the, the club now at Chelsea, it would seem like a, an enormous decision to make right now. Still got the Champions League. I know that it's a, a far-fledged dream to, to think they're going to go all the way in that competition. But I think we saw some improvement a few weeks ago. We saw a little bit of the, the, the patterns that Graham Potter became so successful with at Brighton and I think that has just diminished in the last few weeks and I'm not making excuses but I think he wants to play with wingers I think he's probably his, his formations maybe been dictated a little bit by some of the signings that have come in on Saturday I think dictated by the fact that Reese James and Thiago Silva for two needed to come out of the side I mean I think I said as much on Thursday 
they needed a rest. But it's not good at the moment. It's not good at all. Um, still missing clearly that clinical edge. And the last thing he needs on the horizon is Tottenham, I would say. Um, we seem to be saying the same thing every week because Southampton at home is a game you just have to win, really. Can completely understand all the speculation and I'm saying it in a quite guarded fashion because you know what football's like and you know what Chelsea's been like. But Simon makes the point that this is just completely unprecedented what's gone on at the club the last couple of years. I don't want to go as far and say that the fans have got to swallow it, but it, I think this is a new era. It's it's very different. Just kind of got to accept it and write it off. And listen, for his sake, you hope that the performances improve in the, in the next few weeks. I mean, if they lose at Tottenham and don't give a good showing, then we're going to be having this conversation again. The pressure's going to be mounting and and then... You never know, a decision may be made. In a weird kind of way, we're at a sliding doors moment in terms of his relationship with the fans. The next three games can repair or, or certainly start to rebuild the relationship if somehow Chelsea can find where the goal is and score some goals that you beat Tottenham, Leeds at home, Dortmund, suddenly... You've beaten the two traditional rivals plus the Champions League. I don't think all will be forgotten or forgiven, but you've won the games that Chelsea fans probably want to win more than any other, uh, certainly right now. Conversely, if you don't win those games, and particularly Leeds at home because, of course, and Dortmund because you're back in your home ground, I think the reception that we heard during the Southampton game will be put in the shadows, will be overshadowed. I think it will increase tenfold. We all remember, for example, Maurizio Sarri, the kind of vitriol that, that he got that was a lot louder during games at, at one point. And I think some of the edge, some of the sting was taken out of the protest on Saturday because of Equator's injury. Um, I think it would have been a lot worse at the final whistle, actually. So, yeah, it, this is a real make or break, I think, with, with Graham Potter's relationship with the with the fans coming up. That if he can somehow play on Chelsea's record against Spurs, beat Leeds and progress in the Champions League, it still represents a great opportunity for him and, and he should look at it that way. Uh, yeah. Riaz Piliqueta, by the way, I'm sure you've heard, listener, but he is okay now after getting that boot to the face. Um, so we spoke a lot about the future there. Simon, I want to spin back to, to Friday night and ask, how does a, a random Twitter account that aggregates news for football and seemingly supports Man United know the Chelsea team news and leak it out before everybody else? This feels like this random account, it's at C345Sam, was the first to say on Friday night that, that James and Kukurea and... And Thiago Silva weren't going to be in the squad for the game on Saturday. Chelsea got a problem with this, haven't they? Because it, it seems that their team news leaks out a lot more than other clubs. And, and it's one thing it may be happening at one fifty-five on Saturday rather than 2 o'clock. But for it to, to have happened the night before the game, surely handed an advantage to Southampton, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, I don't know who's leaking and, 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 and how this is coming about. But, um, yeah, it's very unusual. I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure Chelsea are making inquiries and, and, and trying to find out what exactly is going on because it, it's not 
it's not an ideal situation. Obviously, I could be accused of being a hypocrite because I, I, I also then released the story um, having sort of found out what was going on with Reese James. Um, but I felt that given that the, the sort of news had sort of a, had an element of it had been leaked, that I had to then sort of find out the case. And I wanted to sort of discover whether Chelsea fans had anything to worry about in terms of Reese James and suffering an injury. Um, and of course, as I reported, um, he was rested. Um, he played more minutes than than they planned, given his comeback from his second knee injury this season. And they they didn't want him to go into to risk suffering a, a, a relapse in any way. Because as a, as I reported a few months ago, he avoided an operation. But if he if he does suffer a problem with the same knee again, he will have to have an operation. And when you consider the games coming up. You can imagine that the, the last thing they want is to not have Reese James for the rest of the season. That would just be a, a, another blow. So yeah, it's not it's not ideal. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you can sit there and go, "Oh, Southampton have suddenly the night before the game they, they've their preparations done." You know, they would have prepared for facing certain players by that stage. It's not like on Saturday morning you can get them out on the training pitch and suddenly work on something because. You realise Reese James, for example, isn't playing. So I, I don't think we can use that as an excuse as to why Chelsea didn't win the game. They had enough enough talent on that pitch to, to play a lot better than they did, especially in the first half. What I would say, and I did say this to, to people around me at Stamford Bridge, was if I was Southampton, I would say that sent a massive message to them and did the team talk for them that you make that many changes as as logical as it may be. It almost comes across as we don't think you're much cop. We can afford to leave these players out and beat you. If it was me, I'd definitely put pin up in the dresser in that team sheet and tell the players exactly that message. And Southampton certainly came out from the opening minute. I mean, they could, they should have been one nil up inside five minutes. That would give me all the motivation uh, required to go out and do exactly what they did. So six changes from Dortmund, Sam, for the start of this game. Are we seeing here an example of the fact that Chelsea's squad is just too large at the moment, that Graham Potter can't find a settled team? He's trying to keep people happy, apart from Aubameyang, and he's not managing to do it, and he's not managing to find any consistency on the pitch. And and again, I guess that's illustrated by the fact he has to make two changes at half-time. I, th- I think, you know, I already spoke about the, the two major omissions, which could have been game changers in in silver and james but i think your hands forced to a degree there uh, i expected them to miss out you can make a case for ziesh i think in with his recent performances and and havertz as well but we've been so critical of havertz i think 99 percent of the chelsea fan base and people that cover the side would have would have been excited to see fofana play uh, as well i think it was a perfect opportunity to put him in so i agree with simon yeah that would have infused southampton seeing the the team sheet go in, but I still feel Chelsea, they showed in the second half, you know, with a couple of alterations, had enough chances to win the game. I couldn't believe the lack of intensity in the first half. That was the biggest thing for me. When you think of the set-piece threat that Southampton have got, they're playing a six-foot-five centre-forward, yet Chelsea seemed to allow the ball to come into the box. The, the intensity that they were closing down with in the first half just was not there. 
And there was some really bad individual performance as well. That's as poor as Badia Shield has been the first 45 minutes. Um, looked more comfortable when Fafana came on in the second half. Mason Mount, you know, I'm a massive supporter of his, but he was completely anonymous. The fewest touches on the pitch from a starter, other than Suleimana, the other Southampton striker. And you expect a, a bottom team coming to Chelsea, their strikers not to really have too much of an effect. So that is an alarming statistic. And I thought Jao Felix, in comparison to his other three performances, was so subdued. He had one touch in the opposition's box, a header in the first half that I can't even recall. I think he maybe took it off someone's head. But yeah, he was he woefully underperformed. And I think he becomes so important in a game like that. Southampton under Hazen Hootall have been, they're organising that 4-4-2 because they've played it for so long now. Really energetic. Um, the two wingers tuck in. They can be hard to play against and I suppose that's what Graham Potter was getting at at the end of the game although I think that that sentiment was was probably better well it was a little bit misplaced I think those quotes have seemed to have the, the quotes that the Chelsea fans have jumped on considering it was you know Southampton at home and and now he's Chelsea manager so yeah it was um I can't be too critical with the lineup because I felt that was the way he would go and I think I said as much last week um but yeah they improved in the second half with a few changes and um, with hindsight, maybe he'd have gone a little bit, a little bit stronger and, and not changed too much. Grasping to try and find some positives, Simon. I'm looking in the direction of Raheem Sterling and his performance from when he came on in the second half. It, it's going to be crucial, isn't it? That, that senior players like him with all this talk about what the future project's going to look like and how brilliant all these young players are going to be in the future. People like him, need to step up between now and the end of the season and, and take responsibility in the way that he appeared to in the second half. Yeah, and, and also important for him to just generally to get his career, not that he's in, in, in a bad career moment, but you know what I mean. He, he's, this season has not gone well for him. I'm sure it's not gone as well as he imagined. It just seems to be picking up niggles here and there. Of course, he had the the awful experience at the World Cup where he's, he's way with England and, and his, his house gets burgled. So it's just been, it's just, he's never sort of really got going, it feels like. But on Saturday afternoon, when, when Chelsea needed an injection of, of belief, of quality, he did provide it. I, I'm still mystified. He's not the only player this happened to. I'm still mystified how he hasn't scored. Um, Chelsea seemed to find new ways every game of not finding, not scoring a goal. It, it, I mean, I, I, I just had to laugh, to be honest with you, because you were going, the, the, here's a goal and you've got miraculous clearances off the line. Nathan Miles is a great block with the keeper well beaten. It's remarkable. Then Sterling could have easily had a couple of goals. In terms of other positives, Fafana, uh, uh, Wesley Fafana, actually both Fafanas. I, I thought Dasha Fafana did was one of, I'd say, I singled him and Madweki out in the first half as players that actually at least did something and, and, and caused some kind of threat. I, I mean, I remember there was one point where Dashri Fafana sort of controls the ball, spins, turns, gets away from a couple of Southampton players and then he's fouled and the Southampton player brings it down and gets booked. Got a big sort of round of applause and encouragement from the fans. He, he actually at least provided the fans something to to get them going in that abysmal first half, which I put down as their worst since Brighton away when they were three 0 down by half time. And 
they could have easily been 3-0 down on, on Saturday too. Um, but yeah, Wesley Fofana, given that was his first performance, first appearance um, since coming back from his knee injury for four months, um, I thought he came on and, and did well. And yeah, you're right that, that Badia Shill, you know, Sam pointed out, Badia Shill did look a bit discomp- um can't even say it, it's Monday. Did look unsettled. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a more simple word. <laughs> Not so much a bit tongue twister. Uh, he, he did uh, he did look unsettled with Thiago Silva not being there, and I don't think that was a reflection of Koulibaly. Um, you know, I know Koulibaly. There's a lot of people that don't don't like him, but I don't think Koulibaly did anything particularly wrong. And I think he was taken off because he was on a yellow card, and probably Potter feared that he might pick up a second yellow and um, and get sent off. But um, anyway, it's my rather long winded reply to your question, and probably lost about. The attention of half our listenership. I very much <laughs> doubt that everybody needs this joint handhold on a Monday. Um, Sam, take us inside the dressing room if you can. What, what's happening at, at Cobham? Whether it's today that they're in or they've got a day off, I'm not sure. Next time they're in it, are you wanting players to kind of, right, come on, up and at them, take responsibility? Is it just going to be morose down there? Are you, are you not wanting people to kind of slap on a smile and say, come on, we can still do this? How are the players feeling? I think you're, you're downbeat when you get in. You're probably anticipating some kind of meeting, some kind of conversation before you go out on the grass. So, yeah, it can be a difficult atmosphere, strange environment. And once you've had that meeting, though, whether it's one to clear the air, normally, in my experience, the intensity will be there when you go out on the training pitch because there'll be players like, you know, off the top of my head, someone like Mason Mount will kind of double down on his, his effort levels, I would say. And yeah, the tempo. There'll be a little bit of narkiness in the air. Is that a is that a word? You you, you know what I mean. And and when you go, don't out ask tra- me after my <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think I think when you go out on the training ground, like when a new manager comes in and the tempo increases, I think in the in the wake of a really disappointing performance, when when there's criticism about individuals and the team, then players generally put a little bit more effort in. That's where you need people like Azpilicueta, unfortunately. He'll probably be sidelined, won't he? But you need the big characters to raise the tempo in training. And um, I'm sure they'll rally before this weekend. Some of it's up to the manager, but I think a lot of it comes from from within. So, yeah, I expect it to be probably quite a um, tetchy atmosphere down there. But the effort level is probably increasing in the, in the midst of a bit of a storm. Just looking at the squad, Simon, who is there? If not as Piliqueta, who is there you think is going to set the standard in training or come out and rattle a few cages? And, and is Graham Potter even going to want that? <laughs> well, um, it's funny you should say that because um, I was looking at, I was asked about Mason Mount um, during the game about his future. Um, David Dornstein's written a column piece today about his future, his contract talks being on hold to the rest of the season, till the end of the season. And of course, he's only got one year left. And and if they don't come to an agreement, he will be sold. So the reason this came up in conversation, someone asked me, oh, why why would Chelsea want to keep Mason Mount, uh, given the form he's in? And and there's no doubt he's, he's in a poor run of form. I'm sure he admits that himself. But I looked out on that pitch and of course, yes, as Piliqueta was there, this was before the, the terrible incident involving Mara kicking him in the face, that you went, who's there to 
to set the Chelsea DNA to to pass on what Chelsea's all about to all these new arrivals. Um, and of course, Thiago Silva is signed on for another year. But I think it's really underestimated having these characters that that know the club that can help sort of set the standards. As as Pelicueta told me in, in the interview that I did with him, that he knows the Chelsea DNA and he sees it as his job to tell the new guys what, what it's all about, what being a Chelsea player is all about. Some people may say that's obvious, you know, that it's all about winning trophies and all that. But I don't think it could be underestimated the jobs that, that John Terry did, Gary Cahill, Frank Lampard, all these kind of guys from Chelsea's glorious past. So if they lose Mason Mount, it is a big, big concern that you're losing a key character. Whether you rate him as a player or not, and I know there's there's an awful number of people among the fan base, trust me, I see them on social media all the time, being very, very critical of Mason Mount and see him as part of the problem. But I don't think you should be underestimated what, what character he brings. And I think Saturday was a, another example of, of Chelsea looking like a bunch of strangers playing like a bunch of individuals. And, and can anyone be surprised given the huge turnover of the squad that's taken place in the last 12 months, let alone the last few years? All right, well, they'll need some strength of character when they go to Tottenham on Sunday. We'll look ahead to that in our Thursday pod, but let's never speak of Southampton again. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, Lauren James got her first England goal as they thrashed South Korea 4-0 in the Arnold Clark Cup on Thursday. She then claimed the assist for Rachel Daly's winner in the 2-1 victory against Italy in Coventry. On Sunday, she is very, very good at football. Uh, in academy results, the under-21s drew 0-0 at Liverpool in PL2 on Sunday. Leaders Man City also drew this weekend, so the gap between the teams remains at two points, with second place Chelsea having played a game more. Uh, the under-18s lost 4-1 against Arsenal on Saturday. That leaves them fourth in the under-18 PL South. And John Harley has left his role in the academy to join Portsmouth as assistant first-team coach. He's been working at Cobham for a decade. Sam, is your BFF, is this a, a move that he's been looking to make for a while, do you think, to make the step up into, into senior men's football? Uh, no, not not really. I think just a, an opportunity that presented it itself because he, he knows um, John Massinho. I think they, they did some coaching badges together. He was obviously looking to, um, to build a backroom staff, essentially because of uh, Danny Cowley and, and, and his brother, obviously, with the, the team previously. So, no, I think there was a shortlist drawn up and uh, John really impressed. He obviously was at Portsmouth at the end of his career as well, uh, if people can remember that, when they were in real financial uh, difficulty. And I think 
yeah, he kind of endeared himself to the supporters then. I think he really enjoyed that time. So I think geographically, it's a good one. It's a huge club, isn't it? They're in a bit of a uh, a tricky spell at the moment um, in, in terms of where they are in the league. They're not going to probably get promoted this season or get in the playoffs, but um, yeah, it's a big club, isn't it? And it's a, it's a great opportunity for him to cut his teeth at, at first team level and and work with someone he knows well. So, um, yeah, obviously a huge, huge wrench to leave the club because he's absolutely loved the last, the last decade. They're very settled in, in, in Cobham. And, um, yeah, a tough one for him, but I think it's a brilliant opportunity. Yeah. Congratulations, John. Good luck. Sam and I will, will really miss you helping us work out the formations <laughs> for the 21s and 18 games when we are commentating. Uh, right, that's just about going to do us for today. Simon, you're going to be writing a big piece on, on how things get better and, and the way forward for Chelsea and the roadmap out of this current funk or, or something this week, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, as soon as this... Uh, this I, I've been podding for a couple of hours now. It's the full-on Chelsea special with Mark Chapman and, and David Ornstein. We, we discuss the... We obviously go into a lot of depth, just as we have just now. But I do think we touch on other subjects, including Aubameyang, who inevitably the questions are being asked about him because it's already well making decisions to leave him out. But when you're not scoring, the scrutiny on that decision increases. I, so I've yet to speak to my editor, Dom Fifield. I don't know whether you've heard of him, about what I'm going to be working on this week. But of course... I may be discussing certain things that are going on at the club right now and, and, and yeah, how they get out of this mess. But a lot of focus will be naturally ahead of this, this Spurs game. But maybe would Chelsea fans want us, if they had a choice, would they swap managers? Ooh, intriguing. I'm not sure. Well, look at Lucy's face. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's a... So that's the Athletic Football Podcast. There are always lots of news stories around Chelsea, which is why it's so worth having a twice-weekly dedicated club podcast for them on the Athletic. Um, Sam, what are you up to this week? I'm just looking at the championship fixture list and it feels like Millwall Burnley might have your name all over it. Yeah, he's been he's been briefed, hasn't he? Simon, really? He's been oh, briefed. get it. Um, <laughs> I, in, in, in retrospect, I feel, I feel like I built up to Cardiff Reading for, for too long, for, for too many days. So thankfully tomorrow night I'm in action at the uh, at the Den. Ian Martson, there you go. That's a tapping as well, isn't it? Or is it yeah. Matson? We need John for that as well, Matt, don't we? I think that's one I ask you before every game. What are we going with? I Hard think it's Matt. Martson. Oh, I Mark. can tell you, I think it's Martson. I can tell you for sure thanks to uh, our friend Lee Parker, that it is Joao Felix, not Felix. So that is what we will be going with uh, from this point. <laughs> that's, that's, the biggest news, that's the biggest news of the day, isn't it? That's remarkable. <laughs> Doesn't sound right, which is a pretty fitting end to this podcast about Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> oh, it surely is. Uh, elsewhere on The Athletic, there's a video from the TIFO football guys uh, asking whether Graham Potter is out of his depth and looking at his change in tactical approach from when he first got the job. And as Simon mentioned in David Ornstein's Monday column, you can read about the contract talks with Mason Mountain, how they have been put on ice for now. We'll be back on Thursday when we'll be building up to the big victory at Tottenham on Sunday. It's going to change everything for Chelsea this season. Join us for that if you can. Until then, from us all, it's goodbye. The Athletic.